It may seem fitting on this Groundhog Day that the Conservative Party of Canada finds itself in a familiar spot again without a permanent leader and talking party unity, despite ousting their leader Aaron O'Toole today after just 18 months at the helm by a vote of 73-45 of MPs in the Tory caucus this morning. So not close in the end, but hardly unanimous. Candace Bergen has been named interim leader of the party until they can find a replacement for O'Toole. She was deputy deputy leader under O'Toole and has represented the riding of Portage Lisgar in Manitoba since 2008. Well, the departing leader, Aaron O'Toole, says he will stay on as an MP, support the next leader, and had these parting words of advice. I'd like to offer some parting thoughts on what I believe our party needs and what this country needs. Was that really that low? At this critical moment. I do this knowing that I've had my moment, my time at the microphone. But I love both the country and my party too much to not comment. This country needs a conservative party that is both an intellectual force and a governing force. Ideology without power is vanity. Seeking power without ideology is hubris. Canadians deserve a government that delivers exemplary management with a foundation based upon values and our decency as a country. What Canadians deserve from a Conservative Party is balance, ideas, and inspiration. Both the Prime Minister and uh, the NDP leader wishing Aaron O'Toole all the best uh, and thanking him for his service. So where does this leave the official opposition? Where does this leave the Conservative Party tonight? Who can unite the party and what will that mean for the political direction it takes? Well, joining me now is Scott Gilmore, editor-at-large for Maclean's Magazine. Welcome to the show, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, were you surprised that he was taken down so decisively in this vote? I mean, it wasn't even really close at the end. They both went in thinking they probably had quite a few votes. I, I was. I would think that if that large percentage of your caucus was sharpening their knives, that he would have you know, at least heard it a little earlier and have taken some steps, perhaps privately or publicly, to try to head it off. And perhaps he did and we didn't notice, but it did seem to catch him by surprise as much as it did us. That must say something about how much control he had over his caucus as well. Yeah, uh, you know, there has to be, in the list of jobs you don't want in Canada, being the leader of an opposition party has to be very high up on it. Uh, the Trying to control your caucus is like trying to herd a, uh, a herd of angry cats. And he, there are a long list of opposition leaders before him who failed to do it. In fact, my colleague uh, Paul Wells and McLean's mm-hmm. pointed out recently that in the, the last eight opposition leaders of all the parties, only one of them has successfully uh, become prime minister afterwards. And that was Stephen Harper. So it's, right. um, it, it, it's, it's not a job that usually has a happy ending. I was going to ask you that a bit later, but since we touched on it, um, it seems like opposition parties give their leaders very little rope these days with which to, uh, with which to play with. I mean, I think of Andrew Shearer, I think now of Aaron O'Toole, Thomas Mulcair, all people who, you know, may have had a shot at the big, at the win. And uh, if they didn't win the first time out, it was one and done. Yeah, and, and I don't think it was always like that. Robert Stanfield, if we can go back a long ways, was given two or three shots, uh, two, three kicks at the can before uh, he was kicked out. And in the past, we've seen others like Ed Broadbent who were able to, uh, to, to 
try for the uh, the brass ring and stuck around for a long time. But we do seem to be doing one and done. And I think the Conservative Party uh, members, not necessarily party voters, but party members, are becoming pretty agitated. The fact that nothing they seem to be doing seems to be working and that they're looking at a, at a long future in front of them in opposition unless something changes. Do you think, um, I mean, it must be damaging though, if every time you go to the polls, the party that you may be considering supporting, if you're an independent, for instance, or agnostic, has a new leader? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, it's important to point out that the vast majority of Canadians are independent or politically agnostic or nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, we, we tend to, at least, you know, myself as a, as a political writer, we tend to focus on the partisans, the party members, the, the, the squeaky wheels. But most Canadians don't really want to put up with that nonsense and, and don't put up with that nonsense. And they do want to see some consistency in their leaders. And so it is an interesting question to raise. I'm not sure whether it's all going to depend, of course, on who they replace uh, Aaron O'Toole with, but I'm not sure how Canadians are going to react. So in that sense, what did you make of, of Aaron O'Toole's 18 months? Uh, it seemed to start off okay. Um, he certainly showed, I thought, more passion in the last 48 hours than he had in the past 48 weeks at some times, or at least he appeared more focused uh, while, while fighting for his job. But how would you assess his, his 18 months and, and where, did he, where did it all go wrong for him? Well, you're absolutely right. The last 48 hours seem to be different. I mean, to, to paraphrase Macbeth, you know, nothing in his political life became him like the leaving of it. He, uh, his, his speech that you were just playing before I came on here was possibly one of the best he's given. And yeah. it, was, it was one of the most statesmanlike speeches he's given, which is perhaps the reason why he's, you know, on his way out. He, the, the, the great complaint that we're hearing over the last few days from conservatives, particularly the ones that have tossed him out of, uh, out of office, was that he wasn't conservative enough in their eyes, that he was too soft on climate change, that he had run against the climate tax and then, and then had adopted it, that he, his support for abortion was, was, uh, was weak or was at least not uh, as orthodox as they like it. His, his positions on LGBTQ ideology and on the lockdowns and on COVID and, and most recently on the truck convoy. But the problem is, is that while his positions sort of went back and forth and weren't nearly orthodox enough for his caucus, they were too orthodox for the vast majority of Canadian voters. And so this is going to be the great dilemma of whoever replaces him. And again, I, I was going to ask you about the protest because it felt like what happened over the last week, or at least uh, the lead up to the protest and then the arrival on Parliament Hill of the convoy sort of acted like like fuel on the fire for what just happened. I, I, of course, many people were pointing out today that the protest didn't manage to get rid of Justin Trudeau, but they did get rid of Aaron O'Toole. I'm wondering if that's fair or not, but... You know, it, it's, um, it clearly was perhaps not coincidental. I'm not sure if it was the catalyst. And I, I have a small personal anecdote to, to illustrate this point. Five or six years ago, I went across the country and uh, hosted a series of dinners to, to talk to disgruntled conservatives like myself about, you know, what should a new conservative party look like in Canada? And to organize that, I purchased the domain newconservative.ca. And over the last month, that site has been repeatedly attacked by hackers who've been trying to brute force the password and take over the domain. And, and it didn't occur to me until this morning, but perhaps that was somebody who knew that we were going, we were coming to the end of the Aaron O'Toole leadership 
and they were hoping to grab the newconservative.ca domain for their own their own leadership uh, site. Right. So you, you, it, it is it is I, I, the convoy today. I mean, the, what's been going on in Ottawa clearly has grabbed everybody's attention. But this has been going on for a long time. The the uh, the unhappiness within his caucus and the the ability to get that many members of of parliament, that many members of, or of the caucus, to put their names down as being opposed to him. That probably took weeks, if not months. Scott, so the more centrist party, the optimistic conservatism of O'Toole, if you want to call it that, is gone. What now? Well, the party right now, the party caucus and the, the more active members are very much of the, the right side of, the, of our conservative party. They're the conservative conservatives. And so I think that we can almost certainly expect that the successful uh, whoever's going to win the leadership race is going to be even farther right than Andrew Scheer was and definitely farther right than where Aaron O'Toole campaigned in the last leadership race. Um, there is this expectation, it's almost a cliche, that conservative leaders run for leadership on the right and then tack to the center when to become prime minister and that liberal leaders do the exact opposite, that they run on the left and then tack to the center when they become, or in order to become prime minister. Um but that tacking to the center really did not work for Shear or O'Toole. In fact, it's only seemed to have worked for Harper. And I'm not sure which lesson the next leader of the party is going to take, that trying to be a centrist isn't going to help them anyway, and therefore they need to go farther right, or that they need to learn some of the lessons that, that uh, going back to Mulroney and Harper, that if you want to lead this country, you have to have a party that reflects this country and reflects the broad views that we have in this country, which is typically you know, a small C conservative country that is socially liberal. And um, we clearly don't see that type of policy attitude with the, with the current contenders for leadership. You brought this up in that 2017 article, but do you see a home for, 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 for small C conservatives now that don't necessarily uh, align with a lot of what's being said on by MPs of many of the 73 today that voted out uh, Aaron O'Toole? You know, I don't yet. And it's, it's very interesting that, you know, um, Prime Minister Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, has won the last two elections with the smallest percentage of the vote that I think historically we've even had in Canada for a successful uh, uh, prime ministerial race. He's not popular. He's not even that popular in the Liberal Party right now. He's, he's almost popular by default. And he seems to have done everything he can over the last several years to make himself even less popular. And so you would think that this would be the easiest time for a conservative to run against him and, and to form a majority government. But they, um, you know, my, my colleague, uh, Paul Wells, wrote a column today where he points a little bit to the fact that, that Canadian conservatives are becoming increasingly more aligned with their American counterparts, with the Republican Party which it traditionally has not been the case. Canadian conservative has often been more aligned with British conservatives and Australian conservatives. And personally, I'm reminded of a, of a moment in Canadian history when uh, Preston Manning had emerged from the West as this new voice of Canadian uh, conservatism and was being embraced in the U.S. and was invited down to Washington where he went on um, one of the, the Sunday morning conservative talk shows with Newt Gingrich and a few of the other grandees of the Republican Party. And it was supposed to be this sort of North American family reunion. But in fact, what happened was almost embarrassing for everybody involved because they discovered midway through this interview that Preston Manning actually did believe in gun control. 
and universal health care and some of the other issues that were <laughs> considered to be absolutely uh, sacrosanct uh, in the, in, amongst the Republicans. And that's changed now, though. You know, for example, uh, Candace Bergen, who's now the interim leader of the Conservative Party as of this evening, um, was recently photo- photographed with a, with a MAGA hat on her head. And you, in the last election in the United States, frequently saw on social media uh, young Canadian conservative political staffers who were volunteering in the United States. Um, so are they listening to Fox News or are they listening to, to CBC and CTV? And if they are listening to Fox News, are they learning any lessons that can actually be applied north of the border? Or are they learning all the wrong lessons about what's working south of the border? And there was an interesting tweet today from a Globe and Mail journalist who I, I'm going to now forget who it was. And that's, that's awful. I'll have to go back and look. But saying, you know, the conservatives are, great, are not great at reading the room. They're great at reading their room. Um, <laughs> and that might be a problem going forward because clearly O'Toole's ideas were probably correct. Maybe his tactics within the party were incorrect, but his, his, his ideas were correct as far as we could tell. Uh, and given another chance, who knows? I mean, you know, people were getting familiar with him. He was fairly likable, I, I thought. Um, you know, a pretty solid guy, a pretty good politician, finding his feet. Um, what, what another few years might have happened, would have brought with Aaron O'Toole? I guess we'll never find out. No, we, we won't. And I can assure you the next several months are going to be very interesting, too, to see what, uh, what comes next. Yeah, lots of uh, any 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 early bets on who that next or who at least may be in the running, seriously in the running. Well, that point you just made that about they're very good at reading their room is an important one because that that does seem to be the case, and that being the case, most people in Ottawa are expecting that Pierre Polyev, a, a, a local Ottawa a member of Parliament, uh, is the most likely candidate to replace him, and the reason being is that he is. Um, very, very good at getting attention. Very, very good at, at, at shouting during question period of, of dropping memes online, of saying, you know, using snark to the maximum on, on social media, which plays very, very well to their room. But for most Canadians, they at the, at the very least roll their eyes and at, at, at worst, maybe even just turn off the radio when they hear these partisan attacks and the, the hyperbole about how Justin Trudeau is destroying the country. You might dislike Justin Trudeau, but he's rarely guilty of the things that he's accused of in question period and on conservative Facebook uh, groups. So uh, they're going to look around the room and unfortunately they may end up picking somebody like Pierre Polyev, which will not play well necessarily across the rest of the country. It'll certainly be an interesting time ahead as we see where the party heads and, uh, and all the speculation about who in fact may lead next and where they may bring the party. In the meantime, the Liberals, I guess, get to enjoy uh, another respite from uh, effective opposition, at least for a while. Scott Gilmore, thanks so much. Oh. My pleasure. Have a great evening.